You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Welcome one and all to a genre-hopping, movie-reviewing, and reappraising podcast, Be Real, on the Playlist Podcast Network. My name is Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And as you listen to the show, we hope you do. We hope you listen to all the shows in the Playlist Podcast Network. You know that our thing is uh, jumping to three movies at a time that are bound by some similar theme or genre. We got a pretty pretty good one this time, courtesy of you, Noah. I feel like this is a very Noah episode. Why? Because it was painful for you to get through? <laughs> no. Just that, uh, just that, no more that I have a lot of questions for you. What kind of questions? Like weird questions? Like, I feel like there's a lot of weird questions that could be right, asked yeah, about like, why is, I picked. What does BDSM stand for? Let's start for that. Um, no. Um, don't, you don't have to answer that. It's because we're doing movies that are based on bondage, fan fiction. Dominance, <laughs> sado, sadomasochism. I think you're right. We're doing movies <laughs> that are based on fan fiction that became best-selling novels that became movies. What are we talking about today, Noah? We are talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, which is, of course, based on the E.L. James book of the same name, which was, in fact, Twilight fan fiction that was briefly posted on the internet. <laughs> something called a little something called the internet in the year like 2012 is going to play a big role in this show today right the dramatization of this story will be known as the wattpad wars in which mm. three self-published books just took the world by storm okay what are the other two the other two are pride and prejudice and zombies oh yeah from two years ago again based Feels like on 20. Some editor at Quirk Books, an independent press out of Philadelphia, was like, hey, man, <laughs> Jane Austen is in the public domain. What if we took her work and just added a couple of paragraphs around her original prose and made it a zombie book? Mm-hmm. And they had a blockbuster on their hands. And then finally, this week's or last week's after, based on the One Direction fan fiction in which a, I mean, these, all these movies kind of center on a, a virginal f- female figure who rises uh, through romantic encounter into her own. And so right. this one is that stereotype in a situation with this dark and handsome, uh, What's his name? Harry Styles wannabe. Yeah, yeah. It's based on a book by Anna Todd. Uh, and this movie, we should say that after, is is out as of two weeks ago. Um, it hasn't done great, but you and I both gave it our money. You and I both sat in nearly empty theaters yeah. and watched this. You in actual empty theater. I was with my girlfriend, Lucy. Right. And we are the only three. We're the only three people I know who have seen this movie. Other than, well, this is stupid. Lucy saw the movie for me for the second time because no. she had seen it <laughs> opening weekend with her friends, and somehow she had like convinced herself that she wouldn't mind seeing this movie a second time. Oh my god! So we're gonna start with after, 
And really shortly here, I'm happy to say, we have a conversation coming up with Kathleen Newman-Bramang from Refinery29. She wrote this great piece last week called After Isn't Sexy, It's Proof YA Has a Sex Problem. So if nothing else, keep it tuned for that. So let's get a little into what I find fascinating about these movies are their origin stories. Yes. Because, and I've done a little bit of research this week on just like the production of these films. In a lot of cases, they're more interesting than the final results. In a hundred percent of the cases, (laughs) they are more interesting than the final results. So this woman writes on Wattpad, this fan fiction erotica of her or this female character. uh, And then all the members of one direction, like, she did not care for their copyright or their identity or whatever legal claim they had to underlying IP that uses them as people. Um, and she posted on the internet and people fucking loved it. And they begged her for more chapters and she sort of serialized it. She put it out chapter by chapter and people were obsessed with it. It's actually still available online. Uh, certain chunks of it are, which I read, which were horrifying. Um, <laughs> In what sense? In oh, a, prosa- a prosaic th- sense or an explicit content sense? It just it was pretty rough for like first draft stuff because none yeah. of this is edited and she hasn't like gone back or anything. So just like what people endured and loved despite its like bizarre typographical yeah. errors and just like loose understanding of the English language are kind of funny. Also, the sex is pretty intense and also kind of grim. Like once you piece together what's going on. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, I read that. So then Simon Schuster was like, what if we put this out, edit it a little bit and like, like blurry a little bit who these guys are, but still have this like boy band at the center of it. Mm -hmm. So Simon Schuster puts out after, um, by Anna Todd and there's three of them or four. There's several of them. And so this movie then like someone options it quickly and they're like, well, what the hell do we do with this thing? Because, like, we can't use One Direction's likeness in this because, like, they would sue us. Right. Or their music. Or their music. Or the fact that they really are musicians. Like, we really need to just blurry it as much as possible. And so they were trying to figure out how to, like, afford the production of it. So they ended up with this sort of, like, half-baked script and this director who seemed like she had a real vision for it. And they cast it with virtual unknowns and spent, like, $14 million making it. Yeah. And here it is. And it may make that money back. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's in a lot of theaters for... From this, at least the small sample size that we have, nobody going to see it. Yeah, yeah, it's made a little over ten million, so it may make its money back, and that seems like about it. Um, I'm sure we'll have a streaming conversation about this movie in just a bit. Um, so, yeah, the story is then what ends up on screen is that uh, Tessa is a high school, freshly graduated. A high schooler who's headed off to college at a fictional college in Atlanta called Rusmore. Um, It seems it seems real based on some of the signage in the movie, but it is not. Um, I texted you in the theater because, again, I was texting you (laughs) because no one was there. 
And I was like, I'm so close to figuring out why she's wearing white in every scene. I've almost got it. Um, so she's like well, wearing white in every scene. She's a virgin. She's leaving her high school boyfriend behind, but they're staying together. Uh, and her controlling like, single mother. Played by Selma Blair. And, uh, you know, she's she's taken cool econ classes and cool English classes and, and trying to be an achiever. Uh, and hopefully she doesn't meet a tall Englishman in a black leather jacket who throws her entire life out of whack with his dark eyes and sexual ways. Um, yeah, so that that's uh, what hardens Scott, conspicuously Harry Styles' same initials. Um, and she starts to fall for him because he is just like... And a, such a traditionally classic sort of bad boy, just this, you know, empty James Dean holdover of a bankrupt culture. But she falls for him because, <laughs> <laughs> because, because and I found this so funny because he like reads all the most famous books. She's like, oh, you've read Wuthering Heights? Have you read Moby Dick? Have you read Great Gatsby? Um, She's like, I'm out of books. That's all the books there are. <laughs> that's all. That's the book budget for this movie. The all I these movies. I think it's movies, the book budget for just the underlying story. Yeah, I mean, all these movies have such goofy relationships to English literature. The s- most superficial, like three or four English lit books you can think of. Like Absolutely. stuff that's so easy, it's not even taught in English classes. You're going to read Pride and Prejudice, pro- most likely, in your English classes. It's it's too easy. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Can we go from there? I mean, the, the, we, the interesting thing about this movie, and I think is strangely even more true of Fifty Shades, is that, like, there's not a ton of plot. It's just a drama where, like, these two people are far apart and they stare at each other and there's something wrong, quote unquote, with both of them. And they slowly give ground until they're like together in this kind of problematic way. And their moms or their siblings or something are judging them for that. Um, and then there's sort of like an upsetting climax. And then it's like, where do these people go from here? Read the next Wattpad entry to find out. Call and text every day. Mom, it's college. It's not a survival course. It'll be fine. Truth or dare? Okay, truth. Are you a virgin? I'll do dare. I dare you to make out with Harden. I'm done playing this game. Oh, I like this girl. It feels very episodic, and that's like a big swing for this movie because, like, I don't think they're gonna make a sequel. I would doubt it. I mean, at least Fifty Shades like made it, like became a franchise. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is bound to be a franchise by any means but i think so yeah you're you're getting at the heart of like what one must acknowledge right out of the gate here is that i mean and the interview will talk about how ya has a sex problem but i think these movies like all essentially have sex problems and they also have like problems with what they're trying to do because what they've cut out of this underlying piece of writing like what was popular about after as a Wattpad installment series was that it was fan fiction about one direction in like very explicit sexual situations. <laughs> this movie literally it's doesn't have that. any of that. <laughs> this is not one direction. And oh there's no God. there's no there's no sex at all. There's no even nudity. This movie's PG thirteen. It would be like if somebody made 
you know, at least passingly compelling like Star Wars fanfic and the studio is like, well, we're going to make that without any of the Star Wars characters and I think we might as well set it on Earth too. Absolutely. It's like trying to shove um, like a J.J. Abrams pickup into like a, it's a Cloverfield movie, but like Mm. it's not. It's not an after movie. It just has the loose plot that is held together otherwise like incidental sex scenes of varying heat and length. Yes. That's a good <laughs> But this movie has well it, it, there's like a lot of making out. Yeah. And there's also like the fun thing of figuring out which character was which one direction person. Yes. Like the roommate's gotta be Zane, right? Um except for the fact that there is a character named Zed, so I simply assumed he was Zane. Oh, did they keep the same letters? Interesting. They may have. Because I have always found Zane to be sort of like dangerous and kind of sexual. And so wow. I thought he was the... I guess they're all kind of dangerous and sexual. <laughs> I'll look for your Wattpad updates later. I read a bit... I, like I said, I read a big chunk of it and it's pretty... It's pretty dirty. He's flushed right now, people. And if he tells you he's not... You can't tell. That's why we do a podcast so people can't see when I flush when I'm talking about One Direction <laughs> fan fiction <laughs> erotica. Boys. <laughs> Can I ask you a ridiculous question oh, that please. I don't mean ridiculously? Okay. If you have a property like this or a Fifty Shades of Grey, why option it to be a motion picture and not something pornographic right exactly like why is the only the only adaptation of this to be faithful to what the thing is is either like skinamax you know sort of high quality erotica or just like a like a low down dirty pornographic movie either way so on a filmmaking level i'm in total agreement with you the thing is that none of these movies are weird enough or kinky enough for what they claim to be about. Um, they're not really like very wild either. But then I, as I sort of like imagine the source material, like try to think about, I was trying to think about why people write really sexy fan fiction of this kind. And it's because people are in search of like an erotic feeling of something very familiar to them, right? In some ways, it's just the equivalent of like, people who would look for porn specifically based on celebrities or characters that they like. Um, So there's like a really intense level of like familiarity with things like One Direction and Twilight and all these things. But when you transfer that to a screen where the sex is dialed down and is sort of just translated in mostly long, slow sex scenes and nobody has (laughs) thought about... The world, because when you're writing fanfic about somebody else's fiction, you don't do any world building. So all of these movies have this weird thing where it's just like, well, first they post some of our favorite be real questions, which are, where are they? And how old are these people? (laughs) Yeah, where are they? And how old are these people? I don't think I'm disagreeing with you about this. I sort of imagine that the sex would be more problematic in this and Fifty Shades of Grey. I think... But both, like, sort of emphasize consent a lot. I think what's missing is a sort of, like, existential consent for these women characters. Because they were written as ciphers to get close to these fictional imagined bodies and have stuff done to their fictional imagined bodies. But you stop for a second and you're like, 
look for any dimensionality to our main character and like why they exist and what they're interested in. And in the case of both Tessa and uh, Anastasia, very little, unfortunately. I think to me, that's really troubling. How did you say Anastasia? I thought it was Anastasia. Let's just call her Anna. I'm going to call her Anastasia like the movie does. All right, you do that. And how the name is written. Ms. Steele is how I'll refer to her. Ms. Steele. Um, no, I totally agree with you. I think that the meetings themselves are creepy. You know, yeah. like oh, yeah. he's totally inappropriate to her. He's like just sitting on her bed as she comes in from like taking a shower. Right, right. And it's like only her like third shower away from home. And he's just like, I'm hanging out. Don't flatter yourself by saying I should go elsewhere. I'm not looking at you. And he just begins to like nag and abuse her until she ultimately is like, I don't think we should do this. And at which point he's just like, I'm going to throw my whole body we have at you. To do it, yeah. We have to do it. Uh-huh. Yeah, we have I, no choice. So that's pretty. That's the thing. There is no choice. Like, I think the sex act itself is consensual. Fine. I'm not saying that. I just think the way these men are like toxically pursuing yeah. these all virginal characters says something about a dynamic that we find taboo, but we probably find it taboo because it's shitty. Right. What about Hero Finds Tiffin, who is the nephew of Rafe and Joe Finds? I, his voice, his accent is so funny. Oh, it's so great. It's just like British douchebag exchange student who's like living in your neighbor's house for some reason. Because sometimes he sounds really normal and sort of like, you know, requisitely smoky. Yeah, it's just like, are you reading my books? But then sometimes he'll say... Don't read my journal. (laughs) But then sometimes he'll say a sentence where it's like, holy shit, brother. Um, And the one in this movie for me was, I don't date. It's like (laughs) something about the combination of those sounds is like young Michael Caine. I really liked his his like tearful monologue during the toast at the wedding, where he's like, "My dad was at the pub." <laughs> the dad. Can we talk by the about way. the facts. Yeah, can we talk about the fact that <laughs> Peter Gallagher's in this movie for one scene. It's great. He definitely there's you can see the genetic connection in the eyebrows that he shares with Hero Finds. Not Tiffin. in the British accent, though. No. Well, this is what's so. Where are they? Who are these people? Questions. So. Peter Gallagher is the chancellor of this university in Atlanta, which appears to be a a nice university. He appears to be a very wealthy man. But no fewer than 10 years ago, he was like 20 pints deep at a pub, just like insulting like random like cockney garbage men who then went to his house and hurt his wife. Well, yeah, explaining why Peter Gallagher's characters in this movie is most of the plot of the movie, mm-hmm. which is this contrived, like, him witnessing his mother going through something violent and then yeah. having this, and that's the reason that he'll, like, never open up to another person or something, because his, his dad or something, and he's getting remarried to Jennifer Beals, and she's also in it for even less than he is. right. But yeah, he's such a, I mean, they're all such flat, like stereotypical, kind of cringy, we don't pass the 2018 smell test. Right. I mean, I think she does maybe. If this movie didn't have the plot that it has, like it was sort of interesting to see this 
woman with some academic agency and intellectual agency be like, no, mom, my roommate, even though she's sucking on this vape pen, she'll, it'll be fine. I can take care of myself. I'm focused. But then to completely dismiss that in two ways, one to just like have her be uncontrollably drawn to this abusive situation with this not even that attractive young man. And then for some reason, her mother doesn't think she can handle like a physical relationship with another consenting adult while they're both in college within weeks of her getting there with no indication that she's suffered at all or her grades have deteriorated. She seems to be fine. Right. How do you feel about the fact that your namesake character clearly had a very close relationship with Tessa's mom? Kind of weird, right? Do you think that's another like creepy porn setup that this movie has? Right. It's like, what if the girlfriend's boyfriend actually hooked up with the mom while he's driving her Subaru back to where the fuck ever? Sure. Somewhere in Georgia. Um, yeah. Great tax write-offs in Georgia. <laughs> Listen, if you're not shooting your movie in either Atlanta or Vancouver, (laughs) where are you shooting it? Or on a soundstage in London, which I think covers all three of these. Um, So can we tell people how we rate movies on the show and then rate after? Sure. Okay. So we have four ratings on Be Real. Good, good, bad, 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 good, and good, bad. The first word refers to technical cinematic quality. I don't think we'll be talking about it very much today. (laughs) The second one (laughs) is more in question, which is sort of a sheer watchability entertainment value, but also rewatchability. So a good, good movie would be like Jaws. We love Jaws. A bad, bad movie would be like uh, After. Um, A good, bad movie would be like Schindler's List or Requiem for a Dream. And a bad, good movie would be uh, some trash you like. We may may hit on a bad, good today. I don't know. But After for me is, come on. (laughs) It's a bad, bad film. I wanted to like it so much. You know how I love a teen soap. You made me go see it out of that anticipation. I thought there was a universe in which this could have been like a dark kind of wry, weirdly sexy teen movie in the space of you uh, or any other sort of, you know, you're thinking of your Zane centric fanfic, not this film. I just want Zane, the hot uh, roommate with the vape pen and her girlfriends. Like, what's that semester going to turn into? It could be the next Felicity. Mm. But that movie is not this movie. Uh, and this movie is terrible. <laughs> and with that ringing endorsement, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor and then on to our esteemed guest. This podcast is brought to you by California College of the Arts MFA in Writing Program. Getting an MFA at their art school setting in San Francisco means that you can write and paint, write and design, and write and make a film. You can also write and write. Look for their MFA faculty member Tom Barbash's novel, The Dakota Winters, out from Echo. And their alum, Adam Nemet, and podcast favorites, We Can Save Us All, out now from Unnamed Press. For more information, open an internet browser and type in www.cca.edu slash writing MFA. All right. Well, our guest today has written a great essay about why one after is conspicuously not that sexy 
and two epitomizes a sex problem in uh, books of its kind. Kathleen Newman-Bermang is a staff writer at Refinery29, and she joins us on the show today. Kathleen, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so I wanted to break down some terms at the top that I had never heard before, but you talked about in your essay. What is the difference between YA fiction and new adult? Because I'm interested in who's depicted in After versus who's reading it. Right. So uh, After would technically fall under the new adult. I really think the new adult started because of the lack of sex in YA. And um, this weird idea that teenagers don't have sex and you shouldn't start having sex until you're in college. And so New Adult was kind of born where um, there's a lot of explicit sex in that genre. And most of the protagonists are in college, college age or older. Are college age kids reading this or do you feel like it's targeted toward an older audience? I think, okay, I think that like the publishers would tell you something different than I'm about to tell you. But I think that targeted to the same audience as YA because we know that people over 18 are reading YA even Uh if it is geared towards teenagers right like I love YA I'm reading YA I'm reading new adult I am no longer a teenager um I think that um if you look even at the demo of, of after which I think has been classified a lot as YA but is technically new adult because they're in in college um the fan base is very young. The fan base is teenagers. So, yeah, I think they would say that they're gearing it towards the same age as the protagonist. So, like, college age, 19, 20, early 20s. But I don't think that that is necessarily who's reading it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, because this is sort of, like, your way into the piece. Um, I wonder, like, what is your relationship to this kind of fiction? Because I saw you'd written about other YA stuff uh, for Refinery29. Um, you talk a little bit about, like, the, the fiction you consumed growing up. So what is your relationship when you pick up either a good YA or new adult book today or something like after? What are you looking for? Um, I mean, to be honest, sometimes I'm just looking for sex. Like, sometimes I'm just looking for, like, a nice, horny romance book. Like, sure. <laughs> sometimes that's my motivation um I yeah I've loved YA my whole life like growing up I was reading the babysitters club and sweet valley high and then I never really stopped even when I got out of that demo I was even reading it before I was in the demo like when I was way too young to be reading these books Uh um so I moved into kind of like the hunger games the divergent series now I'm very into like Angie Thomas and Jenny Han to all the boys I've loved before and the hate you get, like those books. Um, so I think what I look for is a great story. I love reading about teenagers falling in love. Like, give me that any day of the week. I will eat it up. I also love just the, like, high stakes that come with being that age, just being yeah. young and hormonal. I love the drama that comes with all um, so yeah, I'm looking for a good story. I'm looking for good writing, which is why after is so frustrating because it is not that. So after would seem to promise two of the things that you said you might be looking for, which is drama and lust. Uh, so let's get into the ways, and this is kind of the thesis of your piece in which it just like doesn't make good on that. I'll start anywhere you want. I think you're right. It does. It does actually deliver on the promise of lust and drama. It is okay. just how those two things are depicted is problematic to me Um, because the drama is created by a very problematic leading man 
who is manipulative and violent and angry um, and really doesn't treat the female love interest. So the male love interest is Harden Scott. Um, Tessa, I can't remember her last name. Tessa is the, the lead girl and he treats her terribly and she continues to come back to him. There's language in the book over and over again about how she feels horrible after every one of their conversations. He treats her like crap. She continues to go back to him. She hates herself when she's with him. Like there's, that is the language constantly. Their relationship is she cries. Like she's physically crying over him throughout the book. It, and like in the movie, they've softened it a little bit, which we can come back to. But yeah, it's, I just found it really disturbing i was just mm -hmm. like this is supposed to be romantic and it is the, the author has said that you know this isn't supposed to be a role model relationship but it is supposed to be romantic that's how you wrote it so even if you're saying that this isn't the perfect uh relationship and that it's pointed out multiple times throughout the book that it's not perfect we are supposed to be swooning over Harden, and i find it problematic that we're supposed to be swooning after a guy who doesn't treat his his woman properly and who is manipulated emotionally abusive and violent yeah we violent so many times is emotional abuse like the so-called kink here or do you think that's just the super unfortunate vehicle by which we get to what's ultimately just like a good girl bad boy story is there well, is there an intentionality around that i think there is and i think it kind of goes back to why representation is so important in television and movies in general because we see these tropes and these stereotypes come up and it is rooted in misogyny and it is rooted in this kind of patriarchal patriarchal view of romance that is the man has the power right. and he is exerting that power in a very unhealthy way. But I do think this, this author is a woman. I think that we've all grown up with that portrayal. You're the person that gets that nice side out of him, even though he's an asshole to everyone else. And like, that's problematic. If that was my girlfriend and she's like, Oh, but you should, you should see him when he's alone. Like, right. you know, he's a dick to everybody, but when we're together, he's like nice sometimes like that's, ridiculous but we've heard it before teen boys i think think they can act like this and, mm -hmm. and they have to to get sex and i think the teen girls think that it's normal and that it's sexy and this is the only way it can be sexy because we see an actor um tess's boyfriend uh noah yeah. i think his name is That's he's right. like a good nice solid gentleman guy but she's not attracted to him and he like doesn't have sex like he's seems he's written like he's asexual because he's nice. And so it's like, okay, so sex is, a, is attributed to the bad boy only. And if you're a right. nice guy, you're not having sex. You can't turn anyone on. I want to unpack this even a little further because I feel like the headline on a book like this is its explicitness, which would seem to sort of like defy like a conservative liking this book and yet when you think about like the relationship underneath here and the fact that a lot of it's like rooted in shame and suffering um and the power dynamic that you talked about despite the fact that it's like sexually explicit is do you feel like there is like a cons some kind of conservative stream running underneath this absolutely i think i think you're spot on i think there's a conservative stream running through all of it 
sex is bad, so Tessa feels bad about it. She she um, isn't seducing Harden really in any in any sense. She's more trying to suppress her desires. Yeah, and I think that that in that conservative way that you're talking about, it's like so a girl reading it who is growing up with cons- with these conservative ide- ideologies that are everywhere. She's being like, oh, this is it's okay that she's about to have sex with him. Right. She isn't in the driver's seat. She's not the one being like, like sex. It feels good. Let's do this. Yeah. And that's what I want to see more like teen girls do have the agency to just be like, sex feels good. And I want to do it. The end. I, th- <laughs> I think that that clarifies it really well. Cause it's like the thing that's weirdly missing here is like actual desire. And as you just pointed out, it's like, it's more about the suppression of desire which is the opposite of what would make these books hot. Um, and it's also so disproportionate um, by gender. Like the suppression yes. of that desire is something we always see from the in straight relationships in the, from the woman. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about the movie. How do we have to <laughs> only because it's a movie podcast. Um, otherwise I would never ask you to um, where and how do you see uh some of the themes that you wrote about in your piece or anything that we've been talking about just now, um, taken to the movie. Is, is it, is there a lot of stuff that's the same or is there anything that was radically different for you? We see the violent like fits of rage in the movie. Um, but there's less of like the, the mean digs, um, the like very emotionally, uh, manipulative and abusive stuff that's in the book, the, the specific, um, back and forths that Tessa and Harden have, that was taken that was softened and really kind of taken out of the movie, which I understand because it's really problematic. Um, but it also pissed off some fans. Like right before this, I was reading like a two page thing on, on Twitter from a fan who was like very upset that Harden had been softened for the movie. Cause it's just not as edgy. It's not what they wanted. Yeah. It's just, they, they're, just goes back to how influential this is. Even if the author's like, this isn't supposed to be role model or this isn't supposed to be whatever. These teen girls are loving the fact that Harden is an asshole and he's not as much of an asshole and they're mad about it. Kathleen, let's talk about something more optimistic, optimistic (laughs) to wrap up. Cause I feel like despite all this shit, like sex positivity is definitely like a growing virtue in our culture. And I'm curious if you feel like is what are you reading or watching these days that you feel like could be an antidote to this unfortunate genre that Noah and I picked? There are, <laughs> there's, it's hard. It's hard. There's not a, there's not a lot out there, especially cause mainstream, like the YA books that are, are blowing up the movies that are being adapted. A lot of them, are just are the same things that we're talking about. But um, mm-hmm. The Miseducation of Cameron Post, I thought that was great. As far as books, too, there's a book called First uh, that I think does a really good job of depicting, like, real sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, I think, did a really, really good job of it. And even though I have no idea how old Army Hammer is supposed to be in that movie, <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Chalamet is seems like he's like a teenager or like a yeah you know yeah going like late teens um and i thought that was a really really amazing depiction and i i do think that in like lgbtq plus stories it's a it's a bit better like the depictions are better and more realistic and more thought through and, and fleshed out um 
so yeah, that's a bright spot. And I think that, that also goes back to who gets to write these stories. Um, and in that sense, uh, it's getting better. I, I hadn't thought about that, but of course you're right. When you talk about Cameron Post and Call Me By Your Name, it really puts into sharp relief that like these movies are about sad straight people. Um, <laughs> yes. But I was I, I was thinking about Call Me By Your Name because you're talking about the lack of desire, and I was just thinking about the first you know, eighty minutes of that movie is just like Timothy Chalamet like watching Army Hammer, and it's like a, a good adaptation would just need more kind of like you know, not explicit interactions, just a lot more like watching and wanting, I would think is what you've got to do if you want to do this right. Yeah. And I, I really think that, I mean, it comes down to a good script and yeah. it comes down to the actors who can really sell that. Like, um, Alana Bennett, she's one of my favorite writers and tweeters. Uh, she was, used to write for Buzzfeed. She had this great thread about how um, a lead actor looks at their love interests. Mm. And how that, how um, a romantic movie or storyline really hinges on that look. And Timothy Chalamet is so good at that look. Mm -hmm. And like um, a Noah Centineo in To All the Boys I've Loved Before is so good at that look. And I think that so much of that yearning and stuff that you're talking about um, hinges on an actor who's able to deliver a lot just through, through a look or a glance. We got to watch some more movies is the lesson of this category, I think. Some different, more movies. Um, That's not the lesson. I think the lesson is to make these movies better and to not necessarily limit what a teen romance is. It's okay to put sex in teen romances that are well-written and that have good storylines and that are healthy. And like, I don't want to ruin To All the Boys I Loved Before for anybody, but if we get three movies out of this we're probably still not going to see any sex. Mm. Um, and that is one story that I wish um, showed because Lara Jean and Peter Kavinsky have an incredibly healthy relationship. And if there was like explicit sex in there, I think that that would kind of like revolutionize this whole thing and change everything of what I've been talking about. I'm so glad you but, corrected me. <laughs> but I will add to that, that not every teenager needs to be having sex. And, and Lara Jean Covey and Tell the Boys I Love Before, it does seem realistic that she would be, you know, a teen girl who chose not to have sex in high school. I was a teen girl who chose not to have sex in high school. That's okay, too. But we're not seeing the other side of it. We're only seeing that one side. That's it. I'm done ranting now. <laughs> Kathleen, thanks so much for your time. Uh, where can people find your work? Um, thank you so much. Um, you can find my work at refinery29.com. I am the staff writer currently for Canada, but my stuff also is on the American site. Um, there's a little drop-down menu with a flag, so you can choose whichever site you want to go to. Oh. Um, I also am on Twitter, at Kathleen NB. Two N's in there, Kathleen NB with a K. Um, yeah, and that's where you can find my stuff. I also pop up every now and then on LaneyGossip.com. Cool. Which is incredible film analysis as well, if uh, you guys don't know about it. So yeah, check it out. Thanks so much to Kathleen Newman-Bramang for being on the show. Check out her work. And now, on to a little film called Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey, based on an E.L. James, again, posted on the internet, first as fan fiction with Bella Swan and Edward yeah. from Twilight. Mm-hmm. 
and they were like a little bit older and in college and he's Pacific Northwest connection. Yeah. Pacific Northwest. Isn't, isn't Twilight in Seattle or Portland or some shit? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you can't do that. This goes back to the inherent problem of fan fiction in movies. You can't do that and just like reimagine a wildly successful franchise. Oh, you so, mean because these people aren't vampires and didn't know each other before the story started? <laughs> yeah. So we just change the names, ramp up the BDSM, mm-hmm. and put it out on demand electronically for people to consume. And then, of course, uh, Vintage in the UK and then in the US picked up on this international sensation. It was a phenomenon. Phenomenon. And it became on Amazon, I read a, as this has sold more copies on Amazon eBooks than Harry Potter. What was he like? He was polite, intense, smart, really intimidating. Do you have any interests outside of work? What about you? I'd like to know more about you. There's really not much to know about me. (laughs) Look at me. (laughs) I am. I want to start doing a segment on this show that I'm just going to force you into because nothing pleases me more than trivia on podcasts and people on, on their commute in their rooms just like yelling out the answers like, oh, why are these people so silly? Can you tell me? Please. Fifty Shades is the fourth most lucrative R-rated franchise in American box office history. Can you name the top three? The top three R-rated film franchises? Yep. You want some hints? You want to think about yeah, it? Yeah, I would a like second. a hint. I don't have any idea. One is comedy. One is comedy. Is it uh, Grown Ups? No. Paul Blart Mall Cop? <laughs> There's three of them. American Pie. There's three of them. They're all the same film. The Hangover. There you go. One of them, another R-rated franchise, has been happening for nigh upon 45 years. It's a lot of movies. 45 years of this R-rated comedy. No, no, no. Just a R-rated franchise. Um, Terminator. Ooh, good guess. No. Um, We have watched every single one for the podcast. uh, Dirty Harry. Um, we have watched every one of the uh, the Silence of the Lambs. No, there's like eight of them, and we've watched Lethal every Weapon. single one. We've watched. You think we've watched eight Lethal Weapon movies for the podcast? <laughs> I have no idea. What is it? Mission Impossible. The thing that I we should do with this. Those are PG thirteen. To get this question right, you finger and I'll blow. Oh, Alien. There you go. Interesting. And the last one, it's an action franchise. There are three. We have also watched them all for the show. Only Beverly the fir- Hills Cop. Only the first one is any good. <laughs> Naked Gun. An action franchise. There are three. Action franchise. Um, changed Fast action movies. Furious. Changed action movies forever. Changed action movies forever. Uh, Home Alone. 
I'll never. This is a good way to get me to stop doing this segment. Hunt for Red October. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, give me another hint. Long coats. Hunt for Red October. <laughs> <laughs> Long coats. The Matrix. There you go. Yeah, so the Shifty Shades movies, which I think only get worse, according to critics and audiences. <laughs> They've got not much distance to go with how, how not good this one is. Yeah, they've made they've made a cool billion dollars as a franchise. Which <laughs> it is, was a cool billion. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Anastasia works at a hardware store, college senior, living in Seattle. And her Excuse me. She's living Portland. on the Va- she's living on the Vancouver campus of Washington State University, which is real and is such a weird choice in this movie. And her friend gets sick mm-hmm. and asks her to interview local billionaire <laughs> Playboy 22 to 35-year-olds. Christian Grey. What was that conversation like? I have an interview scheduled in a Seattle high rise with a hot young psychopath, but I have <laughs> I have the respiratory have you flu. Seen American Psycho. Can, yeah. Hopefully, it's not like that. <laughs> you have no journalistic experience whatsoever. Can you do this? So Anastasia's like very plain, and he's very sleek. And something about the way that she challenges him at the end of their interview where it's just like, you know, who are you really? Is just like, no one's ever asked me that. (laughs) I need to stalk you all around the Washington State University campus of Vancouver. I'm going to show me show me to you by buying some rope and chain like at the hardware store you work at conveniently enough. And then if we can get into it a little bit going back to my point about after the thing about after and 50 shades of gray are that what's appealing about them is the sex on the page. And this book, this book, which I've read, I'm sorry. This book has really explicit sex in it. And that's the reason people read it because it's erotica. Yeah. This movie doesn't have that. How can the most interesting thing about the thing not be in the movie? And then it's supposed to be, what does it become then? It's no longer like characters fucking. It's no longer fanfic. It's no longer campy whatever. It's its own other thing. And then you have to hold up the loose, like, kind of problematic plot up as you know your fucking movie and it doesn't work right and it's at two hours and five minutes it feels like an eternity it is an eternity yeah um this movie's a sentence yeah the, yeah the only way this movie works is if you get somebody who only cares about the sex and then the climax of the movie pun intended is like a 30 minute sex scene or something like that but that is not what happens she tries to learn more and more about him and he's like well what i really want to i am a sadist basically um and and then then he like beats the shit out of her and she's like that wasn't fun and then the movie's over yeah well there is a flashback of all the happy times they had together that indicate the 50 shades darker will be coming but it's lo- it looms large. It looms large. Let's never do another one of these movies again, shall we? Um, I have no interest in seeing this sequel or the sequel sequel. 
let me say something nice. Can I say Please. something nice? Jamie Dornan's a dreamboat. Yes, but holy shit, does he have trouble with his American vowels. Every right. sentence he speaks, he's like, I just ran into you at the store. And it's like, what was that word you said? At the hardware store. What? <laughs> <laughs> Buddy? That's funny. Um, yeah, he's trying to do Patrick Bateman voice. He but is trying to do Patrick Bateman. over the place. I always get the- what I want. Yeah. But the writing Mad. isn't there, though. Like, he never has his, I have to return some videos. It's not funny. The thing that's this movie so, needs to be funny, doesn't the, it? Yes, of course. The thing that's so annoying, as a v- not even in a political sense, but just as a viewer of these movies, is that these fucking fuckboys are so transparently bad, but like the right. movie, the movie can't make fun of them, even though anyone watching would be like, "You got it's so obvious, like what you." self-centered bastards want and the all the best character moments in both of the movies are actually where the women like get to give it back to them a little bit like when anastasia's on the phone in that bar and she's like drunk and calling him and she's just like you're so bossy you're like oh let's get coffee or i want to go over here i was like yeah he is just a bossy motherfucker that's his whole thing the best part of after is that scene where they're running from the cop in the library and uh, Harden like jumps over a bookcase and she like walks through the turnstile like, oh, aren't you a performative like little man? Um, but those are 10 seconds in movies where that could be like a main character dynamic. Certainly. I think there are good versions, maybe not of After, but certainly of Fifty Shades of Grey where you use more like movie magic to replace the imaginative magic of the book. Yeah. But you need to make this at least like a little bit. I didn't find the sex very sexy. I don't think they have a lot of chemistry. And I mean, like BDSM's not my kink also. Right. But it didn't seem like they were really like these weird montages of her like like taking like a just like a, a fucking feather to the butt for like a little <laughs> while and then and then he just sort of gently puts like a, a you know a piece of leather on her back or whatever right what why do i want to watch that there needs to be more athleticism give While me like the weekend is like <laughs> you know i don't let me that's ask, not what i say it's like weirdly sexy it has a kind of like the room quality to it definitely yeah <laughs> Yeah, we are missing a waterfall through which the sex is shot, but absolutely. Um, it has a real budget, but it has the sensibilities of the room and yes. the same logic. There's no... Well, and it's because of their sexual... Rela- the dom and sub thing, too. There's no like interesting blocking in the sex scenes where people get to move because she's just restrained and he's you know, touching her with a riding crop. <laughs> Oh man, so good. I think I had I like didn't enjoy this movie when I first saw it and I didn't enjoy this movie now. Um That's bad. It's it annoying. Just, like, it's it's annoyingly bad because it could have been so much better. Yes. All of these movies the appeal I think for you when you're like let's do this episode and it makes total sense is like let's watch some trashy movies. The movies aren't fun if they're not having any trashy fun. They don't believe that they are trash. 
Which no, this it could be so much more campy, and I think it would be so much more satisfying. Right. Especially with the interesting dynamics with the other characters on screen. But again, it's just like these weird like, oh hi mom, let me catch you up on the plot. Gotta go. <laughs> you have breast cancer. <laughs> Oh my god. Um I did like that uh it felt appropriate that Jennifer Ely, who plays Elizabeth Bennett on BBC Pride and Prejudice, was in this movie though. Cause all of these movies have to name check Jane Austen. And I wondered if she was like, Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'm Elizabeth Bennett, that's what I'm famous for. Um Oh yeah, and part of we were talking about this earlier that part of uh Christian Grey's Empire is like a prominent book publishing wing. Which you know from the books, right? Not from the movie. It's introduced in the second film. Oh, okay. And it's mentioned in the book. She becomes an editor overnight at this at his profitable book publishing company. Good for her. Because, yeah, in this movie, all the phone calls that Jamie Dornan makes are the equivalent to, like, me doing a fake phone call to use the bathroom in a public place I'm not paying for. It's just like, hey, I needed, I needed that yesterday. And you're like, needed what yesterday? What, what's your company? <laughs> Um, right, and there's that like one dramatic scene where he's like, "It's unacceptable." Right, <laughs> I'm coming back to Seattle, Seattle, Jamie. Seattle. It's Seattle. Why did you say Seattle? Oh, my dad's down at the <laughs> pub. <laughs> I was just up for five years. I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> You're only supposed to touch me with the riding crop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that should be the title of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> You're this... only supposed to touch me with the riding crop. A look at fan fiction in mainstream cinema. Uh, this might be the last episode fan of fiction. our show. <laughs> oh, man. So what's the final word on Fifty Shades? I wanted to find something that I really liked so I could defend it. Because I made us watch these terrible movies. Okay. And I wanted to be like, listen, Chance, it wasn't that bad. But Chance, unfortunately, you're afraid of sex. Yeah, <laughs> Chance, you're, you you're uneasy with the, with the fair gender. <laughs> <laughs> these are all bad good. You can't see it. But no, No, I don't think it. any... I don't think you're that afraid of women. And I don't think that Thank you. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is any good. I think it's a bad, bad. I, yeah... It's an it's a bad bad for me as well. It takes itself so seriously, and not in like I wish a, it didn't. Not in a way that's easy to make fun of. In a way that just only goes chance on and I can take ourselves seriously. Ooh, can I tell you about? Uh, I I did write down lots of funny lines though, because they were like the only things I was getting out of these movies. When he goes to Savannah, Georgia, to stalk her at the hotel brunch with her mom, and he says to the waiter. <laughs> I want a gin and tonic. I want Hendrix gin if you have it, and if you don't, Bombay Sapphire. Which is like such a specific line for essentially saying, I want a middling gin and if you have it, and if you don't, please give me the most basic shit imaginable. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Oh, man. I did like that. But it just sounded to me like, and what it sounded like when you were doing it too, was uh, I don't put any alcohol in my face (laughs) because it makes me look old. (laughs) It's the same voice. It's just a list of like specific, right. like yes. 
Somebody was like, we have to punch up this script, and their idea of doing that was name-checking Bombay Sapphire and having the brothers like, did you see the Seattle Mariners Major League Baseball game? I think it went to extra innings. Aw, Dad. (laughs) You guys, please stop discussing the American sport of baseball in front of me. I find it boring. (laughs) Her father also has Oliver Peoples' glasses. Um, okay. So, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yes. This movie is like a little less fan fiction-y, but I think a still interesting byproduct of what fan fiction strives to do, which is to take something you know and love and like fuck with it. In yeah. the two preceding ones, it's like just fuck it. But the this one is fuck with it, and it's done with, of course, the craze in the late or in the early 2010s uh, with zombies. I don't mm. think that, that that doesn't go anywhere. Zombies are like perennial. Yeah, you're right. Um, but but yeah. like I would say around Walking Dead time. For sure. There was a real hunger for this. Though the book did come out um, like 2009, 2010. Yeah, that's right. I think that the conception of this book in particular, and if you look at the other stuff Seth Graham Smith has done, including like Abe Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, and like Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, and just like, it's all such relics of the very beginning of this social internet age we're in. Like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is such a fucking Tumblr page of an idea for a book and a movie. Right. But the, that, this book actually worked, which is incredible. Yeah, made a bunch of money. So, yeah. And then Natalie Portman optioned it. She wanted to star in it, but then she ends up just producing it. Yeah. And they end up getting the bouncer from Last Days of Disco to direct it. <laughs> right. Uh, Burr Steers. Burr Steers. <laughs> Who'd acted in some Tarantino movies and also had directed a surprising number of early Efron films. He, d- he directed 17 again and Charlie St. Cloud. Uh, but I believe this oh. is his last. Zach Efron, not Nora Efron. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nora Ephron tended to direct those. Or Rob Reiner. Um, let's see. He's the Rob Reiner of the Zach Ephron. <laughs> <laughs> Just set the camera up and go, baby. Um, there's a couple weird things about this mashup, which is, for me at least, that I wasn't expecting. One, I think it takes Pride and Prejudice pretty seriously. And two, for... The thought that went into, like, the changes made in this movie, and there is some thought, there are some choices made, and some, like, kind of odd, like, world choices. The zombies don't really represent anything. Like, sometimes I thought, it was like, are the zombies the French? But no, it's just, like, a plague in the countryside that's, like, spreading toward London and everybody's favorite manners. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the problem with it too, is that it doesn't use the zombies as like a metaphor. Yeah, there's no thematic in, hook. At least in th- like, if you're going to play it super seriously, though, then it has to be more like um, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, where it's just like disgusting. Because again, what made the book interesting was the fact that it took something you knew and loved, and it like really fucked with it. Splattered blood movie, all over it all over it and this movie i don't think like the others with sex does not go far enough in Mm -hmm. being like the violent costume drama like if your buddy yorgos had directed this movie like that would have been interesting i'll speak to him totally disgusting and i hope he doesn't do another 
annoying period. Okay, okay. Yep, 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 yep. Um, yeah. There's so the, yeah, there's no which <laughs> which leaves me with the revelation. And are you ready for this? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies don't really go together. No. I think it's a pretty stupid idea when you put it under the microscope of anything. Or when you watch the movie and it's just like Pride and Prejudice for 15 minutes and then it's zombies. There's not there's no intermingling. There are like famous monologues and dialogue exchanges right. lifted right from Pride and Prejudice and then at the end of it Darcy or Wickham or someone is like, "And by the way, be sure to take cover from The Walking Dead." I've been training for this my whole life. The fairest wifely choice is to be right here in this room. My daughters were trained for battle, sir. Not the kitchen. A woman must have a thorough knowledge of singing, dancing, and the art of war. I shall never relinquish my sword for a ring. The right man, you would. The beginning is the most interesting part where it sort of suggests that all five Bennett sisters have a, uh, you know, a Kill Bill uh, vibe to them where they all, you know, hide knives under their long dresses and their father, Charles Dance, has trained them to be warriors. And everyone in this version of 18th century England is either sent to Japan or China, depending on your station, to learn to be, you know, a knife wielding warrior because because the zombies have now been a part of their lives for decades um like that's interesting but again they don't do anything with that though. then it's just there's like that weird there's that weird like prejudice that exists with like people who studied at chinese schools as opposed to japanese schools right which they don't play for keeps let me ask you this do you think that lena hetty and charles dance have the same agent you know, and he just sort of pitches them like, well, you liked her as Cersei. Uh, what about Charles Dance? I bet I could get him in there. You got a father role? I'm going to use packaging wrong here, but a Targaryen pack or a Lannister package. Um, this is just the kind of packaging that drives uh, the Writers Guild of America crazy. Sure. Um, I don't think that that's an example of what this is. No, I don't think so either. Uh, but yeah, Lena Hetty plays... Uh, Lady Catherine de Bourgh, who's Miss Dar- uh, Darcy's aunt, uh, Charles Dance, as we said, plays the patriarch of the of the Bennett family. And you know what? The weird, the the other weird thing about this, where I where I keep saying it's just Pride and Prejudice, is like, you know, they're read a version of Pride and Prejudice pretty good. Like, I think it's fine. I think it like holds up well next to like the Kiera Knightley one. Like Sam Riley is certainly interesting as Darcy. He is interesting, yeah. And Jack Houston. He do- just likes to talk like yeah. everything like this. Jack Houston does. I can't. F- I find you very attractive. Jack Houston Charming. does the Wickham scumbaggery, the blackguard. What a blackguard. Um, Lily James as Elizabeth Bennett. I is liked, perfectly. I good. found Lily James as the. She's the female hero at the center of all three of these stories. I found her to be um, interesting. Her character was interesting, and I thought the portrayal was interesting. But the movie around her yeah. is so boring. Yeah. If, it's, if Pride and Prejudice and Zombie's not leading into camp, what is it doing? 
it needs to be totally disgusting and it's not Ew. like that's what would be funny if you broke this conce- if you broke this story like on its ass and just like poured it onto the screen of here's all ca- characters you know and love and like the BBC drama you think this is and then just like totally disgusting Edgar Wright style yeah. craziness sure yeah you know, Matt Smith, who plays Doctor Who, is kind of funny as Mr. Collins. He's got some funny line deliveries where he's like... But the movie doesn't know what to do with him. Would yeah. you like a scone? Right. Oh, fuddle. Um, he's pretty good. Well, it's His eyebrows bo- freak me out or lack thereof. But it's a little bit of the same thing we were talking about, right? Like, all of these texts in their, in their origination are based on familiarity with something else. So they all kind of have that, like... Well, you know why we love Harry Styles, right? Or you know about Pride and Prejudice, right? And so the playing with text and identities is not there because they're all based on an assumption that both the writer and the audience know why they like this thing already. Absolutely. And I just don't think... Because that's the thing. It should be, at its core, it should be the parody of the Keira Knightley movie right it shouldn't be a parody of the text if you're a parody movie this movie doesn't know what it's like a parody of or like what's funny about it yeah and and then instead of doing sort of the more interesting austenian commentary on wickham which is like men like this exist and for a family like this you know maybe you do lose one of five daughters to the wickhams of the world he just becomes a a supervillain who wants to be king of the zombies (laughs) Because he's like been once bitten, if you will. That's right. Um, Noah, it is... I know you have. I think in our Michael Keaton episode, you gave us a full slate of bad bads. I don't think I've ever gone three for three bad bads before, but I I have integrity, and I'm going to have to give this one a bad bad too. No, this one is an undeniable bad bad. Again, I was hoping that it would have a little camp, a little kitsch value to it. By all um, rights, all of these movies should be bad good. But you know what? I enjoyed talking about the page-to-screen journey of these three pretty bad movies. I'm always happy to chat with you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, seeing how the sausage gets made, sometimes it's delicious and sometimes it's either of these three movies. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a journey. I'm glad that you didn't send me like a tersely worded email halfway through the week being like i don't like this category no who would ever do that to the other person um, me i do that to you constantly <laughs> i know i don't do that i just i just you're, just you're a man of honor sit in silence and watch 50 shades in the middle of the day while the working world passes me by <laughs> and then you complain to me how busy your life oh, is because of these movies well i had to watch it sometime and i work late because i can't sleep the six after hours that these. i normally spend watching movies this week i spent watching movies oh no he's turned it on that me you, that you picked <laughs> In other Playlist Podcast Network news, before we let you go, uh, I talked to some directors on the show recently. Uh, Emma Tammy's got a movie called The Wind, which is a Western horror movie. And then I talked to uh, Madeline Olnick, who did this uh, Emily Dickinson like revisionist comedy I really loved with Molly Shannon called Wild Nights with Emily. So those Was are it better on- than Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Way, way better. Um, so those are up on the feeds now. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at berealpodcast.com for old episodes and bonus writings and such. Uh, yeah. 
I've enjoyed speaking with you. Pleasure conversing with you as well, sir. (laughs) I like exchanging ideas about motion pictures together for this increment of time. We'll renegotiate our contract later.